morning. You know, my husband Joel and I are the lead pastors here at the Rock South County. We do share the teaching. And um, I am excited. I have a message I feel that God placed on my heart, which is always a blast to teach that. And the title of this message is called Remarkable Rebecca. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to take notes because sometimes when you take notes, you catch more than just listening. If you'll write things down and then go back and read it, sometimes something will be written that you don't remember hearing, but it'll impact you later. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I truly pray that I would just fade out and your word would go forth and accomplish what it wants to for the hearer's present here, God. You are so concerned about your people. So Taylor, make this message for every person. Let it touch their hearts and let us never be the same after the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, we're going to be in Genesis 24 eventually, but first I want to start out with talking to you. There is a new kind of greatness in the kingdom. It's always been there, but it's welling up again, and, and we're reminded of it this morning. It defies the, the ladder climbing, the self-serving, the craving, the ambition, and the drive of the world. The culture of the kingdom of God has this central theme at its core. It's weaved everywhere in scripture. The organization, if you want to call it, if the kingdom of God or God's house was an organization and he was the CEO and he had his cultural values in his company, at the helm of his cultural values is servanthood. The basis of his kingdom is service or servant-like ministry to others. Servanthood can be described as a willingly giving of oneself to minister for another and to others to do whatever it takes to accomplish what is best for another person. I want you to turn with me. Or no, you don't need to turn there. I'll read this one. Then we'll get into John chapter 2. It says in Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Servant living stands opposed, directly opposed, to the primary concerns we see today, where we focus, the focus of our culture and society is more on our own happiness and comfort. We are utterly preoccupied with self, and it makes us oftentimes feel like foreigners in the kingdom of God and his culture. If we are preoccupied with self, we cannot be fluent in kingdom language because kingdom language has a laying down its rights, uh, considering others better than yourself. Uh, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. If Christ even himself came to be served, our redemption could have and never would have taken place. If he came to be served, our redemption would have never taken place with his mindset being like that. When the culture of ladder climbing and self-serving enters, it causes disunity even in the body of Christ. And servant living does the actual opposite of that. Servanthood and looking to serve one another will bring such life and, and hope and breathe unity into every culture where it's established. Greatness in the kingdom of God is never to be found in position or power or in the praise and opinions of men, but in servant-like service to others. I want to tell you a few blessings of the servant life this morning. If we go to John chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 8 and 9. We were just at our rock conference um, 
I think it was not last week, the week before, but we had this minister named Jerry Stott come, and um, he did an awesome teaching on um, what are the keys to living a supernatural or a miraculous life. And I was latched onto his message, and I took one of the keys that he shared, and he was talking about the servants were always the first to partake of the miracles. So in chapter 2 of John, verses 8 and 9, we'll read there. Well, let me back up a little. It's the wedding at Cana. It said, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. If you were the servants and you had to go fill the water pots, the guys were going to turn this water into wine. Fill them to the brim. Because if you filled them halfway, you got half the miracle. Fill those pots to the brim. The level of their miracle was in direct proportion to the water they put in. Half full, half as much miracle. One guy even did a study some smart guy, that said he figured how much wine this was. If you took what was in the basin and put it into a bottle, 908 bottles of wine. This is just ridiculous, but this is how God operates in the kingdom of God. He'll do ridiculous things with those servants. Amen? So it says here in chapter 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from. But listen, though the servants had drawn the water, they knew where it came from. Be a servant. The servants were the first ones to experience the miracle there. Servants are the first to partake, first to see the miracle. God set it up that way. He said in his word, I did not come to be served, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. And that is in the culture of the kingdom, that the servants were the first to partake of the miracle. He emptied himself, our heavenly father, and became a bondservant. And when we empty ourselves, we oftentimes don't know what he's ready to pass our way in the form of miracles. Ooh, now we're going to get into Genesis 24. I tell you what, when we were at the conference and he started talking about the servants being the first to partake of the miracle, and us not even understanding what God wants to flow our way. He shared, and I'm going to share with you this morning, the story of Isaac and Rebekah. And I'm telling you, you've never heard this story. You may have read it, but you're about to hear it with new ears this morning. In Genesis 24, we come on the scene. In this passage of scripture, Abraham has asked his servant, Eleazar, to head to find a wife for his son, Isaac. Now, Isaac, Abraham was ridiculously wealthy. 
And Isaac was the heir to the promise to receive all of these resources. But the stipulation was Isaac needed to be married, and he wasn't married. So Abraham says to his servant, Eleazar, I need you to go. I need you to find a wife for Isaac. And here's some stipulations. Number one, it couldn't be a Canaanite woman because that would have defiled the promise. That'd be like being married to an unbeliever um, in, in nowadays the way we talk about it. Number two, the woman had to come from Abraham's home country and from among Abraham's relatives. So that's number two. And number three, Isaac could not go. Essentially, he was not to leave the promised land. So Isaac's not on this trip. Talk about, look, okay, let me get into it. Eleazar is Abraham's chief servant and in charge of everything Abraham had. This guy was such an example of servanthood, eager obedience, attention to instructions. He was diligent in pursuing his tasks with wisdom and devotion. So we have remarkable Rebecca, but we have epic Eleazar. That's his name. This guy is epic as a servant, as a right-hand guy. This guy was above and beyond. He was not making up the rules as he went. He was committed to what his master had asked of him to do. I need you to go. I need you to find a wife, a suitable wife for my son, so he can be the heir to all that I have. So Eleazar heads out. Let's go to Genesis 24, verse 10. It says, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. Remember that, 10 camels, okay? taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, this is Eleazar talking to God. He says to God, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman, Eleazar is getting really specific with God. He's like, let the woman, the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I might drink. And who says, drink and I will water your camels as well. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. I want to pause there for a minute because as I was preparing for this message, I went before the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and I said, Father, I feel that you have something specific to say to our congregation. So I'm going to just pause for a minute and wait on you to hear what do you have to say. And clear as day, not with an audible voice. I don't hear God like that. I know people that do. I do not hear him speak to me. But in my heart, this is what he said. Self-preservation is destroying some of your opportunities for miracles. Self-preservation is destroying some of your opportunities for miracles. The thought of so many of us are so concerned about preserving our energy, our time, our resources, the things that we're entrusted with, that we will hold on so tightly and not give away freely those things God is asking us to relinquish. The Bible says in Psalm 145, 20, the Lord preserves all who love him. The Lord preserves all who love him. He will care for you as you become a servant in the kingdom of God. 
to your families, to your ministry, to the things he asks of you, he will preserve you. It's like a jar of pickles. Because yesterday my son Cameron wanted pickles. And I was looking at that jar of pickles. There is so much preservation in that jar of pickles. We, we could be like doomsday preppers and just have pickles. And it would, they would last in our fridge because there is so much preservative to keep it fresh for long periods of time. The Lord says, I will preserve you. We are the preserved of the Lord. And that is an encouragement for someone this morning. You have been so terrified, and I believe you've been terrified to give of yourself in acts of service and ministry because you've been hurt before. It's not just you don't want to give. It's because someone took advantage. The last time I signed up for that ministry or the last time I, they just, it was every weekend and then I burnt out. And I want you to know that this message is not to motivate you at a sign-up table. This is from the Lord's heart towards you to let you know servanthood is the fluent language of the kingdom. And it would be wrong of us as leaders to not invite you into the fullness of God's culture in his kingdom. It's not to get you to sign up. It's to have you walk away and say, Lord, those who trust in the Lord will do good. Those who trust in his sovereignty over their life will take what he's given them and give it away and not be concerned about preserving it. You know, if the Lord speaks and says, I want you to do that. I want you to sign up for that. I want you to go here. Just this week, I had a dream. It was a very vivid dream. And in my dream, there was this girl named Rosie who's from our Anna or was at our Anaheim campus. And in the dream, it was very specific. Rosie, Joel and I were at a, an outdoor um, where they ho hold airplanes. It was like a cliffhanger. I've heard it called that. So it's an outdoor area where airplanes park. And we're in this outdoor area. And there is a group of inmates. And Joel and I are there to minister to this group of inmates. It's so vivid. It was so just dead on in particular. So we're outside, we're getting ready to minister to these inmates. And then all of a sudden, Rosie's there. This girl we know from years back, she's in the dream. And right before Joel goes up to minister to the inmates, he hands the microphone to Rosie. And Ro I whisper in Rosie's ear, you need to tell your story and you need to talk about forgiveness. So Rosie goes up in the dream and she just brings a strong word to these inmates and there was deliverance and God was moving. And so I woke up from the dream and I had a busy day ahead of me and I go about my day, kids to school, meetings, various things. And God keeps prompting me, Anna, tell Rosie the dream. My heart is like, tell Rosie the dream. And I don't want to stop. I'm busy serving my day, you know, and the Lord just would not relent. So I stopped what I'm doing. I said, Lord, I, I asked you to use me. I said, I want to be a vessel for honorable use. I want to serve as you lead. So I paused what I was doing. I don't have Rosie's phone number. So the only way I know to contact Rosie is on Facebook. So I go on Facebook and I write this lengthy message to Rosie, thinking I'm just being obedient. I'm just going to throw it out there. I get this direct message back from Rosie. All she says is, OMG, OMG. I just had a dream three nights ago, and I was in an airport. I am broken and weeping. I will message you later with what I feel God is saying. So days go by, and then this morning, I get this long message from Rosie on um, Facebook, and she just tells me, you have no idea what this has unleashed. 
I had a vision when I was a young girl of ministering to inmates in juvenile facilities. I have been broken. I haven't forgiven multiple people that have hurt me recently. I've been um, seeping anger on my own children, walking through a dark place, almost divorced. She's telling me all this in the message. And the love of God just flooded my heart when I got your message that he hasn't forgotten about me, that his plan for my life is still there, that he wants to use me. I feel so awake and feel so much hope. All that to say, God wants to use us. He says in his word that you will be a vessel for honorable use. But the kingdom of the, and the culture of the kingdom of God is an emptying of ourself and our agenda sometimes to lay our life down, to be a vessel, to bring hope and confirmation. Prophetic words, dreams, those are just to lavish love. God just wants to love on people and he wants to use us, but we are so preserved of ourselves and so restricted in how we will let God use our time. We need to break. We don't need to be so busy that we're barren of the very things that God wants to use us to bring forth in other people's life. Thank you for letting me break from this amazing story about remarkable Rebecca to share that. God wants to flow things to you, and you're not to be found anywhere. You know, we're not found in the field. We're out doing something, and God wants to flow things to you and to I. We, in this story, Rebecca is just in the field drawing water at the time of day when they drew water. And here comes Eleazar. He is the servant to the richest man ever, and he is looking for a wife to be the heir to all of this lavish riches. And here's remarkable Rebecca. In verse 15, it says this in Genesis 24. Before he had finished speaking, so the master, the servant is praying out to the Lord saying, Lord, if you will bring this woman and when she comes, she needs to offer drink to me and she needs to offer to bring drink to my camels. Before Eleazar, the servant, had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca. So he's still praying, and the answer is right there in front of him. And God does that for us all the time. He wants to bring you the answer before the prayer is even off your lips. Amen? Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. So bam, right there. He said, no Canaanite woman. And the woman needs to be from Abraham's family. Bam, there's e-harmony has nothing on God. E-harmony can't make a match like Jesus can make a match. That's for the single people here this morning. If God could bring Eleazar an 80-day journey to find Rebecca, and she could be that dead on of a match, not a Canaanite. Okay, let me get on with it. She went down to the spring and filled her jar. So Rebecca's filling her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So here she is. The servant asked for a sign, and here she comes saying, not only am I going to bring you drink, but I'm going to water your camels. 
God honors the heart's desire of the servant as he prays for what he needs. The servant will, the servant's will, Eleazar's will is perfectly aligned with God's. This is classic God. He is so grace, gracious. He answers the servant's prayer. I mean, this is a big job for a servant. Marco, this is our assistant. Imagine if I told Marco, I need you to go out today and find a, you know, like something so specific. And so the servant is like, Lord, this is a big task. You got to turn up for me. You got to help me, God. This He's asking for all these specific things. A wife for Isaac, the funding they're about to flow to this couple. This is a big deal. And God is faithful. God is in the details of your life. He is not happen chance. He is strategic. He is a God of order and system, solar system, nervous system, everything in the in this earth that God has created has a system. And how he wants to flow his miracles, provision to you, he said the first shall be last. Here's Rebecca. She's just out drawing water and offers to water his camel. She has no idea what God is about to flow her way. She has no idea. She's just there serving. Amen. God always sees you when you're in the field serving. He is always looking. I'm going to throw my back out again. I get so pumped up. Okay. I'm not going to read all of that. I'm going to go on with this, but, but we see God provide. So here, a few points I'd like to make about remarkable Rebecca. Many people would read, hear this sermon and think it's relegating guidance on how to find a spouse. But more than that, Genesis 24 is a passage that calls us to bow down and worship the Lord our God as we marvel at his matchless sovereignty over every detail of our life and his delight in giving us good things as we surrender and trust him in all things. Her willingness to empty herself literally. It says that Eleazar had 10 camels. Listen to this. Each camel was capable of drinking 20 to 25 gallons of water after a long trip. Then 10 camels may have needed 200 to 250 gallons of water. That's 40 pounds of water that could have been 40 to 50 trips down the water well. That's pro to pro provide enough water for the camels. And Rebecca, she's probably 14, 15, maybe 16 years old. And she says, it doesn't say she went slowly or said, oh, I didn't know you had 10 camels. Maybe if you had two camels, let me just bring. She said she ran quickly to provide for them. She is beautiful. She is morally pure. She is hardworking, and she has a servant's heart. When Eleazar is commissioned to this task to find a wife from Abraham's relatives, this was a journey. The journey, 80 days journey, it said it was 400 miles away from where Abraham and Isaac were to where Rebecca was. This was up to an 80-day journey. That gives new meaning when kids say, are we there yet? You know what I mean? Imagine if your kids were on that trip in 80 days. My kids could not even handle it. We drove this morning seven minutes, and I think they asked three times, are we almost there? Are we there yet? Imagine that, an 80-day journey to find this bride. The girl was just a serving servant. She didn't stop. She kept serving. What kind of girl is this? This is amazing. Here was the key. God was watching Rebecca. She was 14 to 15 years old, and she was about to get all the wealth of Abraham passed to her. Why? She was a servant, 
and the servants were always the first to partake of the miracles. God sees us serve, and you don't know what he wants to pass your way. Power, anointing, blessing is coming your way. Then we find out in this story that she's a perfect match. I tell you, she was the perfect match for Isaac. The principle of utmost importance here is God is to be trusted with every detail of your life. As we operate within his kingdom, he will flow every need to you. Every detail of your life will be covered. When the caravan arrives with the camels and Rebecca and Isaac, they let me read this part to you. We didn't read it first service, but... I mean, it goes on to say that even um, when Rebecca says to her brother and her mom, there is these guys, they've got these camels, we need to house them. So they house them for the night. And then Rebecca's brother, seeing all the the rings, it says they put a, a nose ring on Rebecca. That was customary. So she had a nose ring and Eleazar gave her jewelry and her brother and her mom were like, What's going on here? And then she says, I will go with you, Eleazar. I will go. And her mom and her brother say, let her stay a little longer. And Eleazar is like, don't stop this process. This is the Lord. He is doing this. Let us go right away. So young Rebecca, the servant's heart, leaves her family. Her brother gets up in the caravan and heads out to meet her husband. She's never met. But when God is into the midst of these things, these things are radical. He does ridiculous things. He brings 908 bottles of wine out of water and let the servants be on the front lines of miracles. God does ridiculous, radical things, and he wants to do more of that for us. He wants to do so much for us as we're on his front lines of seeing him operate in the way that he ordered things, the servanthood, to be on the front lines of his goodness. Rebecca left her family, traveled far to marry a man she's never met. She emptied her water pitchers. She emptied herself in service and surrender. Verse 58 says this, And they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? This is her brother and her mom. And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said this to her as she was leaving. Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate, hate them. She doesn't know what she's about to walk into. She was just serving. She was just bringing water, doing what the Lord told her to do. Then Rebecca and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebecca and went on his way. It also is significant. You know, the same thing that Rebecca's brother and mom prayed over her is very similar. It says in Genesis 22, 17, after Abraham was ready to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice and the Lord provided a ram in the thicket and he didn't have to slay Isaac. It said after that, this is to Isaac, the word of the Lord to Isaac. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies. It's like the same word spoken over Isaac, spoken over Rebecca by her family. And then God merges these. T- he, he is so remarkable. 
the Lord our God. We got to stop preserving ourselves and get wild and trusting him to do things that we can't imagine he could do. He's speaking words of life and matching their stories. Single people, there is hope. God is faithful. If you're supposed to be married, I tell you what. Okay, let's read verses 59 through 60. So they say this to her, actually, verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from, I don't even know how to say it. I want to say beer, but I'm not going to. From this place and was dwelling in Negev. And and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and and saw, and behold, there were, were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil. They say this is where we get that brides put a veil over themselves as they walk down the aisle. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. And she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. His mother had passed on, and his father was also concerned that he would have comfort. So he brought a wife to comfort Isaac as well and hit the grieving of his mother. This is so significant. God is in every detail of your life, and in his kingdom is one where the last shall be first in a sense. Your miracle is on its way as we serve. In John 13, the hardened nature of servanthood is so clearly illustrated when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. I'm going to share this, and we're going to close. Jesus could do this for this reason. The reason Jesus could step up and be the one to wash his disciples' feet is because he knew the source of his action lay in the knowledge and security of who he was and where he was going. Jesus was completely confident in the security and love of the Heavenly Father and his future that allowed Jesus to assume the position of a servant. Sometimes our obstacle and the reason we self-preserve is because we don't trust sometimes the heart of our Heavenly Father over us, that he's really going to take care of us as we lay our lives down, that he really is concerned about every detail of your life as you abandon yourself and serve, that he will flow to you the very miracles that he wants to usher in. You don't need to preserve yourself. You need to do what the Lord is telling you to do in every situation, in situations in your family where you think, I have nothing left to give. This family member has drained us. God would say to you, I'm not asking you to become a doormat. I'm making you a doorkeeper keeper for the things that I want to open to you. We think we're going to be a doormat, but you're never a doormat. You're the preserved of the Lord. He will cover you with his his protection, and he will hem you in as you do what he's asked you to do. This will be a, a house full of people that are willing to lay it down for the gospel's sake, for other people's lives, that we would be abandoned from our own agendas and our own will to trust the Lord, to flow to us everything he has for you and I as we serve his kingdom. Remarkable Rebecca. Is that not an incredible story? Epic Eleazar, the heart of a servant, heading out with an impossible task, goes before the Lord and says, Lord, 
you need to show me who this woman is. She needs to be this. She needs to offer my camels drink. We need to get real with the Lord about the things we're believing and expecting of him. He has miracles to flow to you, but we have to be willing to seek him and ask him. Ask, seek, knock, and you will find what his answers for you are. We are the preserved of the Lord. Servant living is accomplished in us through faith. After Jesus assumed the position of a servant and washed the disciples' feet and put on his outer clothing, he took his place, it says, at the table, not on the ladder. He wasn't climbing up. It says we're seated at tables. The Bible talks about that, that the, the last... The, the least shall be greatest. And I'm in a cohort with a bunch of other women leaders, and our leader talked to us about this. Anna, team, if you're looking to climb ladders in the kingdom of God, you will not serve those rightly around you. We're seated at tables, and God will place you at a table for a season to be next to various people. But the kingdom of God is not ladder climbing. It's servanthood. And we have to wash ourselves from the culture of the world that is so obsessed with self, so preoccupied, almost narcissistic about your needs, about what's happening to you. I find that every time that I've said to the Lord, not my will, Lord, but yours be done, miracles just flow. Miracles just flow. Even the other week, I told you guys our dryer went out, but I didn't tell you that the day before our dryer went out, someone walked up to us and handed us a check. And it was a good amount of money. And I got the check and I said to the Lord, is this even for us? We don't have significant need right now. We're doing okay. I don't, you know, what is this provision for? But the next day, our dryer goes out. And you know how much the dryer was? The exact amount that gift was to us. So God, before the need even arise, the provision was there. Before, when the servant was praying, behold, there was Rebecca. She was on the scene, and that's our God. Let faith arise in your heart today. Let faith arise in your heart today. He is not, not aware of your circumstance or your situation. He wants to flow miracles to you and do things for you. Let's stand to our feet as we close. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. I felt like, and we did it first service, I feel like we're supposed to respond to God. If, you know, when we talked about we break every chain, I felt very clearly that so for some people, self-preservation is a chain that has held you in place, that you're not even realizing you can give more, you can sow your seeds, you can trust the Lord with more, more, that he has got you. He is the wind at your back. He is going to head you in. But he's asking you to trust him more fully as you launch out. He will meet you. He will meet you. He is faithful to his word. If he could find a bride in a field and she's not a Canaanite and she's from Abraham's family and she's filling water, he is so specific and he has so much to flow your way. But servanthood is the gateway. Laying down your life, you will find your life. I remember being a mom with four kids under five years old. And kid you not, I would stand in my living room, unshowered, most days. It would take a while. <laughs> Can I get an amen from the new mom in the back? You're standing there and thinking, I haven't had a minute to myself today. It's been serving and serving, serving and I never felt more alive. I would stand there and be two in diapers and one needing a snack and one needing this. And 
I just sat there and said, I've truly lost every remnant of who I once was. And I am so found in you, Lord, by purging myself of the very things that I think are keeping me, were, were really holding me back. And as I gave and served my family, God showed me principle after principle of what he wanted to do in our life and my life. And it's more of that today, more of you, Lord, and less of us, God. So would you hail, held your hands up to heaven in a form of surrender to the Lord? Heavenly Father, you see these hands here. God, I pray that self-preservation would drop like a chain off of people. The way that they've tried to preserve themselves and hold on to the, the things that they think are precious, their time, their talent, their money, and they want to portion it out. I pray, God, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to hearts right now, that you would give us a release to be fully used in your kingdom, in your ministry, in our families, in the places of influence we have, that we would have the heart of a servant modeled after you, Lord, our gracious, humble, heavenly Father who came and brought himself low. 